0: Hi, this is Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group, with the Week in Review for Friday, September 24, 2010. The arrest of 53 suspects charged with an elaborate and sophisticated identity theft and fraud scheme that goes back more than four years highlights startling security gaps in a number of U.S. consumer identity authentication practices. The U.S. Attorney for the District of New Jersey released information about the arrest of the 53 suspects, who have been linked to a scheme that allegedly targeted the identities of Asian immigrants. At the top of the scheme is an entity called Park Criminal Enterprise, which has been accused of buying social security numbers with a 568 prefix, a prefix typically issued to individuals from China who are employed in American territories. What makes this scheme so frightening, says Kim Peretti, the former lead prosecutor in the U.S. versus Gonzalez trial, is the ease with which the Park Enterprise was able to manipulate the system to steal identities. At the 50,000-foot level, this is the most dangerous type of identity theft, says Peretti. This is the type of identity theft that is not just a breach. What they were able to do by just stealing social security numbers is frightening. I've not seen something like this. Luckily, the payments industry is taking steps to fight fraud, and during the PCI Security Standards Council's community meeting this week in Orlando, Florida, the fight against international crime rings was a featured topic of discussion. Howard Cox, the event's keynote speaker, is an assistant deputy chief for the Computer Crime and Intellectual Property Section within the Criminal Division of the U.S. Department of Justice. During his keynote address, Cox said, "Cyber crimes are affecting the entire payment card industry. Stolen credit card information is a commodity that has worth to the criminal community." He adds that the sharing of information, not just among countries, but also among processors, financial institutions, merchants, and other entities that touch the payments chain, is essential. The globalization of PCI standards is expected to encourage that better sharing of information, not just about security breaches, but also about emerging technology. Emerging payments technologies such as tokenization, end-to-end encryption, and EMV chip and PIN payments are already being deployed in the marketplace, but standardization as it relates to the security of some of these emerging solutions is lacking. During this week's PCI community meeting in Orlando, Troy Leach, the PCI Council's security standards architect, shared some perspective on how the council views these emerging technologies and the role it expects to play in helping the payments industry standardize security practices. Here is Troy Leach.
1: There are many technologies already in the marketplace today, and, and from a merchant perspective, there has to be a caveat emptor or buyer beware approach to any type of solution you're looking at today. Uh, there is the need to not only be secure, but you have to demonstrate security to your third parties, your business partners. And what we believe is absent in today's market is a consistent way to test that the security is actually effective.
0: Chip and pin technology is getting a lot of attention these days, not just from the PCI Council, but also from some other payments leaders, including one at the Federal Reserve. Richard Oliver, a 37-year veteran with the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, is the first high-profile banking executive to publicly voice his support for a move to EMV chip and pin in the United States. During this, the second part of a two-part interview with Oliver, Oliver shares his views about how mobile technology could bridge the gap between MagStripe and chip and pin payments in the United States.
2: The Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, through my group, the Retail Payments Risk Forum, and the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston have joined hands here to facilitate discussions on the issue of mobile in the United States. We've created a, an industry working group that's representative of the various players in the mobile ecosystem. We've met three times this year. We'll be meeting again soon in October. Uh, And what we're trying to do is help facilitate discussions amongst all the players to determine where does mobile fit into the U.S. payments landscape and how would it be justified? Is there a business case? And basically, uh, how might it best operate to meet the needs of all parties? When we started those discussions, uh, I think I didn't understand that there was much of a tie between mobile and the issues of MagStripe and EMB uh, chip and PIN, now I believe that there is a tie.
0: And we wrap up the week with a look at mobile banking and the challenges regulators face when it comes to consumer privacy. To date, mobile financial transactions have fallen under the purview of e-commerce, meaning they are regulated in the same way as Internet or online banking transactions. But technological nuances make the mobile channel a little different, and the financial industry is only beginning to wrap its brain around some of the fraud and security risk potentials. In October, BITS, a division of the Financial Services Roundtable, is hosting a forum dedicated to the emerging mobile channel, a forum where regulators, bankers, and consumer advocacy groups will spend two days examining some of these privacy concerns, sharing insights about mobile banking and payments. That's this week's Week in Review. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten. Have a great week.